today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. There's an interesting essay done by uh, one of our global uh, reporters, Noor Ibrahim, that says, Fact or Fiction, a news reporter straying from the ethics and standards of journalism. Now, this is very much along the lines of a debate that's been going on for quite some time now uh, about uh, what news is being reported and how it's being reported uh, and some of the blurry lines that some people are suggesting are, are part of, of the process these days. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Jeffrey Dvorkin, who is a former director of journalism and a senior fellow at the University of Toronto's Massey College. Uh, Jeffrey, thank you so much for the time. Uh, glad you could be with us today. My pleasure, Bill. As, as, uh, as journalists, uh, all uh, who make our living doing this, and, uh, and i got to admit, in the interest of full disclosure, I've always been a fan of journalists. I always wanted to see who could write and, and who could report and everything of this nature. Uh, I, we have to accept, I guess, right off the bat, the premise that it has changed. I mean, what is being reported and how it's being reported uh, is much different than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, probably even 10 years ago. And social media, I think, is probably the, the major contributing factor in that. Absolutely, and I think the choices available to the public about where the information comes from, how it's being created, who gets to share it, all of these things have made the idea of having a few reliable sources of information that much more, well, difficult, if not impossible. And so uh, I've actually just written a textbook. Uh, It's coming out in about 10 days called Trusting the News in a Digital Age. So your question is actually kind of timely because what I've written in this textbook for journalism and media studies students is that we need to be a little more careful, Um, in some cases more suspicious. And what the book does, I hope, and I think it does, is gives young journalism students and journalists in general a kind of a helpful guide to figuring out what constitutes reliable information, what constitutes something that's merely interesting, and how do we figure out what's important. So it's that kind of balancing act that uh, we as uh, teachers and journalists and citizens need to take advantage of. And, and it's becoming more difficult, and, and the point's well taken. Obviously, social media is having an impact on that. We can delve into that in just a couple of seconds. But there are other contributing factors, too, and, and one of them, of course, are resources. Uh, you know, it wasn't that many years ago, and we know the stories now, uh, where newspapers, radio stations, uh, television stations had a plethora of reporters that would go out there and get the story. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Uh, there, and it's, it's all staffing issues. They've been laid off. They figure we can do it with less people. Uh, but when you when you have less resources like that you're not getting to the story a lot of the time you're just taking somebody else's word for it or it's hearsay that you're reporting well i think that's exactly right bill but what's happened is that the economics of journalism have changed dramatically and the the advertising based uh financial uh aspect of how journalism functioned has been blown apart by the digital culture and so uh Yes, it's much more difficult for a newspaper, especially in mid-size or smaller cities, uh, to actually function. So what we have in Canada, particularly, are a series of what's being called news deserts, these parts of the country where there are fewer and fewer outlets that people used to rely on, and people are, pe- people are attracted to other things now. Uh, partly because the news is pretty grim, frankly, 
uh, what was the pandemic and, and other things like that, people are looking for a little relief. And it's not unreasonable for news organizations to say, how can we keep attracting audiences? Maybe they don't want to hear the latest doom and gloom story from somewhere. Maybe they want a little relief. And part of that is giving people more information more cheaply. What I call the low-hanging fruit of local news, which is weather, traffic, and crime. People need to know this, but that's not all they need to know. So we need to figure out a way in which we as individuals, as journalists, and as students and teachers can figure out a way that we can provide a better set of sources, reliable sources of journalism for the public. And that's our challenge right now. But in that regard, and I understand where Noor's coming from here, wondering about, you know, the ethics and standards. And the standards are something that really caught my attention here. Uh, are we abandoning those? I mean, are we doing investigative reporting, for instance? And, and for that matter, do the consumers slash readers want to read a 1,500-word a you know, essay about what's going on in you know, the corruption at City Hall? Or, I mean, pick a subject. It could be anything. Or do they just want a, 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 a you know, a 100-word quick hit? Uh, but if that's going to be, if that's the barometer, if that's what they're asking for and demanding these days, what information do you leave out then to try to satisfy that? That's, you put your finger on it, absolutely. This is the challenge that uh, those, you know, as a recovering news manager, <laughs> I used to have to, I used to have to figure this out on a daily basis. And what, I, I had a boss once and who was, um, from Scotland, and I was young and in short pants in the newsroom, of course, and I said to him, you know, what's it all about? What does it all mean? And he said, oh, laddie, we only do two things, surprise and delight. Now, get back to work. <laughs> now, but he, he was absolutely right. Surprise and delight. How can we, as providers of information, help the audience understand what is surprising and surprising could mean anything from there's a traffic jam or it's going to rain tonight or surprise can also mean they did what i am outraged and really angry i mean i think i'm looking at the stories in the papers today about the pandemic and people are angry mm -hmm. um and that's part of the surprise quotient the delight is where we connect the audience to something that shows us how we can be more human, how we have shared values. I had a student once who from Lebanon, a very nice young woman, and I asked, this is a writing class, and I asked them, okay, find something in the, in the media today and tell me how you would develop that story and what you would do with it. And it was the usual, you know, the Greek economy is collapsing. You know, they, they got very serious. But this one young woman from Lebanon said, I want to do a story on Kim Kardashian. Well, we all rolled our eyes, of course. And I said, okay, what do you want to do? And she says, I want to find out how a non-Anglo-Saxon woman becomes successful in America. And I thought, that's, that's very interesting. So she did a piece on being from Lebanon and admiring Kim Kardashian, who's uh, Armenian-American, and how she's managed to be a success 
of some sort. Mm. And it was absolutely fascinating because it gave me an insight into how Kim Kardashian appeals to young women who are not, you know, blonde-haired and blue-eyed. It was great. That's what we have to start thinking about, telling stories that surprise and delight. And I think if we are able to keep that in mind, our audiences will will keep rewarding us with their attention spans, which are, I admit, getting pretty thin. Well, and therein lies the problem. So because of, of that <clears throat> and, what, and what the audience are, are expecting from us, uh, is there a propensity then to say, look, it, i got to get there first? I mean, the competition here is, is you know, fierce uh, between social media sites, uh, you know, what they call mainstream media. I've never mm-hmm. liked that term at all. Because, uh, but but it, it's there that it's being used. Uh, I, I mean, I had an instructor going way, way back to my days, Jeffrey, in, in you know, Norm Marshall and, and Baden Langton, two great broadcast journalists yep. uh, in their time. And, and I had the pleasure of, of actually learning a lot from both of them. And, and one of the mantras was, uh, it's, it's more important to get it right than to get it first. I don't know that that's much of a standard anymore. I think getting it first seems to be the, the, the more important standard for an awful lot of people. I, I agree. And I think what's happened is, is that the Internet has given news organizations a pass. Oh, if we get it wrong, we'll correct it on the website. Um, and that's just, that's just not good enough. I've had occasionally... Uh, from time to time, journalists ask me to uh, to for various questions on journalism, like you're like you're doing. And I always ask them when they come to the house to interview me. I say, "How many stories are you doing today?" And uh, they said, "If we're lucky, I'm doing five or six. Well, doing five or six stories a day means you're going to be kind of thin. On the ground, you're really just going to, it's going to be drive-by journalism. It's not going to be very substantive. And I think we have to figure out a way that we can help our bosses say, okay, maybe we don't need all of these trivial stories. Let's spend some time doing something that counts. And that 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 becomes the issue. I had a student, his family came from Uganda. And he got a he got an internship with a prominent uh, website belonging to a public broadcaster that I won't name, and uh, he was told go on the internet, find something vaguely Canadian, write some copy around it, and we'll put it up on our website, and it'll then become our story. And my student said to his supervisor, "Why don't we go out and do that story?" And the supervisor said, "We don't do that. We leave that to Global." And I thought, this is appalling. We have lost, in certain instances, our way. What gives me confidence is these, this younger cohort of journalists coming into the business. They want to be heard. They want their ideas reflected on the air. The older generation of news managers needs to start paying attention. Because it's easy to fall back into bad habits like this, as you say. I mean, we, you know, 
it, CNN's a classic example. I mean, when they first came on the air years ago, when Ted Turner first, there was headline news, and then there was CNN, and then you know CNN was supposed to give you the depth in the story. You got the twenty-second version of the story on headline news, and and I'm I'm, I'm getting the feeling, Jeffrey, that way too many organizations are leaning towards the headline news, and I, I got to say something flashy, you know, it, it, I got to grab their attention. I've only got twenty seconds to do it, or they're going to go someplace else. That's it, and and I'm not adverse to competition, but I'm also inclined to say to my students, go get a job. When you get in there, see how you can help it get do better work. No, don't just accept what's going on as the inevitable. And that's going to be a challenge. And right now we're seeing in a lot of news organizations and in journalism schools that younger, more diverse cohort of young journalists and journalism students saying, Doing things the way they have been done before is insufficient. It's just not good enough. We need to do something better and more reliable. And that becomes, that, that's, I think, a great attitude to have. But we are, you are, I am, in the midst of a generation gap. These younger folks uh, are saying that the old way of doing things just isn't good enough anymore. And I, I applaud them. Yeah, I'm, I not think sure I, I'm not sure I have the, <laughs> the answer necessarily. But I want to see some dynamic change happen in journalism in Canada. What about the paradigm shift that we've seen, though? I know we're running out of time, but I got I got to get your read on this, on the Jeffrey. Uh, are the consumers of of, of the, these news organizations and news sources right now are they looking for information, or are they looking for something to validate their already their, their mores and their social values and, and what they already believe in? The sociologists call this bias confirmation. Yeah. that the audience wants to be reassured. And I understand that. Um, they don't want to be shocked and, and disappointed. And news organizations often try to support that instinct. Um, but I think as we're looking at the bias of media, we also need to look at the bias of the audience because the two of them kind of intersect. Um, and we have to help ourselves and our audience understand what's what's good and valuable and reliable that's that's the challenge and it's not going to be easy uh i'm looking forward to your book i hope it's going to be available generally or online or something because I, it's a fascinating subject and I'd, I'd like to get your perspective on it. it's always a pleasure to have you on the program and and uh, and get your read on what's going on jeffrey thank you so much for this my pleasure. It's available on Amazon. Oh, good. Perfect. Okay. You know, right. know what I'm doing after the show today. Thanks you again, Jeffrey. Stay well. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Jeffrey Dvorkin, of course, a former director of journalism and a senior fellow at the University of Toronto's Massey College. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.